You're listening to Outside Radio. Welcome to Queering It Up, a show that talks about all things queerness. You can catch us on www.outsideradio.live and even go on our, uh, not Facebook, Instagram page on Outside Radio and just check out everything that we have to offer. Last week we spoke to Nate and his beautiful boyfriend, Kai, and talking about interracial relationships and dating internationally. Today, by the way, we have a great guest and a great topic even, but you'll just figure out the topic as we go, okay? So our great guest for today is Regina Wu. Hey, Regina. Hi. So Regina, on this show, we let people introduce themselves because the LGBTQ plus community tends to not have a voice. So it's, we allow people to just finally have their own voice. So could you please just let the people know who you are, what you do, where you're from, everything. <laughs> yes. Okay. Great. Thank you for uh, that introduction. My name is Regina Wu. Um, my family calls me Ngayin. Uh, that is my name in Cantonese because my parents are originally from Guangzhou. Uh, I was born and raised in Los Angeles, California and spent all of my childhood uh, and teenagehood in in America and after I graduated from university I came to Beijing for work. I identify as a trans non-binary uh, Chinese American. Uh-huh. To jump into that whole how you identify so you, you use the pronouns right? Yes I use they them pronouns. They them pronouns. Uh, what caused that? How did when did you decide to be non-binary? That's a great question. I... It started when I cut my hair really short. <laughs> uh, and that happened when I studied abroad in Taiwan in 2016. I was doing a summer language program um, and I met my first, I would say, queer elder. Um, and her name is Faisin and she essentially took me to cut my hair short and she is a very masculine presenting um, lesbian and yeah she took me to cut my hair and that first moment when I swiveled in my chair and I stared at myself with short hair I was like whoa this is me like this is who I've always wanted to be Um, and so that is sort of when it started a little bit um, and eventually I transitioned into using she, her, and they, them pronouns. And then my last year of uni, I just used they, them pronouns. Wait, you transitioned to using she, her? She, her, and they, them. Oh, and so you was using both. So now you were finally, let me say, comfortable per se? Yes. To just yes. be like, they, them. This is it, this end will be all. Yes. Oh. Can you just then give us a rundown of how your childhood went in Los Angeles? Uh, I grew up in a neighborhood called Lincoln Heights, um, which is known to be more of a low-income community with a lot of people of color. Um, So I grew up with a lot of neighbors who were Mexican and spoke Spanish and some neighbors... Can you speak Spanish? I cannot speak. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That is my one regret though. Uh, It was in high school not learning how to speak Spanish. Um, I I can speak a few words. 
uh, but not a lot. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it uh, was different than my university experience. Very different. How so? I went to Smith College, which is a historically women's college, and the majority is essentially middle-class white girls. <laughs> it is one of the oldest women's colleges in the United States, and uh, actually when I was in college, my first or second year, they changed their admissions policy to admit trans women. Uh, but we were actually one of the last women's colleges to do so in the United States. But that is still our policy and we actually also have trans students who uh, transition during their time at Smith. So we have some trans men and also other gender non-conforming folks who attend the college. By that time, had you already come out, had you already known about your sexuality? I had known about my sexuality, but I didn't really act on it until I broke up with my high school boyfriend of five years. Ooh, that is long. Yeah, that is, yeah, it was long. <laughs> so it was like, oh, good riddance. Now I can think about me, like reflect on who I am as a person. Yes, we actually broke up after I came back from Taiwan. So it was that same summer when I cut my hair and I think I was starting to finally really accept myself that we broke up. When did you go to, to Taiwan then? 2016. Were you still during, that was university college? Uh, what were you doing in Taiwan actually? Uh, studying Chinese. <laughs> oh, you studied in Taiwan? For and, summer. Oh, for summer, then you went back to... To, to Smith. To Smith's uh, college. Mm -hmm. Then in terms of when you realized your, I mean, sexuality and gender, Yes. Uh, okay, let's go through this because I'm also learning as we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, gender is you saying that you are trans non-binary. Yes, yes. Trans, uh, I would explain, is an umbrella. Uh -huh. And under this umbrella, we have binary trans folks. So that's trans women, trans men. Yeah. And then we have non-binary trans folks. Um, and that could be... A gender, so you don't really feel like you have a gender. It could be bi gender, you, you feel like you have two genders. Um, there are some indigenous folks who identify as two spirited, and the diversity under gender is actually pretty big. So, when you can you just give us a journey through finding out your sexuality? Because I'm sure you started out as being in your head lesbian, right? Not, not actually. Really. Okay, my bad. <laughs> no, 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 that's okay, that's okay. I uh, I always had really intense friendships with women mm -hmm. or girls um, and uh, I had come out to myself and some teachers in, and mentors in high school and I was like, I think I might like girls too. Um, so in my past, I've dated both men and women and other folks who don't identify as either. Um, and so for me, I identify as pansexual. Um, yes. Ah, okay, I see, I see. And then when you started out your first relationship, post-identifying as uh, non-binary, how was that? Ooh. Compared to your boyfriend of five years? Yes, so it was very different. Um, I... I fell in love with this girl, woman, um, named Amaya, and she and I had this really intense sort of codependent 
uh, relationship. Uh, one of those sort of during university, you always spend time at each other's dorm rooms yeah. and you never stay at your own dorm room anymore. Um, sort of one of those situations. Um, it actually ended up ruining one of my friendships <laughs> um, because one of my friends, when I started expressing that I was interested in Maya, um, she basically admitted that she was in love with me. Oh no. And oh, no. <laughs> yes. And so she was like, if you start to date her, we it's can't be friends. Back. Yeah. And she really cut it off? She really did. She really did. And that was really, um, it was really heartbreaking. I yeah. can imagine yeah. this was your friend. But also, why didn't she tell you beforehand? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I think she was also very scared and when she got to Smith, it was sort of her first time sort of coming to terms with um, her sexuality a little bit more and I was one of the first people she ever came out to and I think that she was still sort of coming into herself for the mm. first two years of uni. And then when you said, Amaya is for me, she was like, no, I want you, <laughs> yes. not Amaya. As a Chinese person, what are some of the backlashes that you have received? I think oftentimes people think that Chinese Chinese folks who are queer, they've been um, tampered by Western culture and they think that queerness is a Western thing or a white thing. Like if you are Chinese or, or another sort of Asian, um, it's not in our culture per se. Um, a nice part about moving back to China and sort of getting to know Chinese culture more um, is realizing how queer Chinese history actually is. Um, there's a story um, about an emperor who fell in love with one of his male lovers and um, they were hanging out, chilling, doing what people do. Um, <laughs> and he fell asleep. And so the emperor, instead of waking him up, cut off his sleeve of his robe. Oh, oh, I thought the opposite, what? Yes, yes. And he gave that um, male companion um, a lot of power um, in, yeah, in sort of the empire. And, uh, and yeah, I, I think stories like those that have sort of also made me realize how... Um, Non-Western it is. It's for everyone. Because mm -hmm. I also remember um, during university, I did my drama research paper um, on homosexuality in Africa and its representation in theater. Mm -hmm. it, at first, it was a very sociological um, research that I had to then put in the theater part. And it showed that homosexuality has always been in Africa. Mm -hmm. uh, the main issue was defining it as homosexuality. Mm -hmm. That was the problem. It was like, oh, now it's labeled, we don't want this anymore. Uh, but it was something that was always there, which I'm assuming that it was always there in the whole world, in mm. any culture. It is, it's something that has always been there. And then how has your family reacted to you being non-binary? Uh, I don't think they quite understand. <laughs> um, 
For my parents, because they were immigrants from China, I think a large part of our relationship is a language barrier. Um, so unfortunately, my Mandarin is better than my Cantonese. Um, and so at home, I grew up speaking Cantonese with my parents, but very broken Cantonese. Um, and so trying to have conversations with my parents in general, daily life was very difficult. And then being able to know what word, what Chinese words um, can define what I'm trying to say is also yeah. really difficult. Um, but yeah, I came out to my mom after I officially graduated from university um, and was more financially independent. And I wrote her a very, very long letter. <laughs> financial independence before. Yes, before... Being kicked out. Because mm -hmm. we, we run the risk of being kicked out and being ostracized so we have to at least be safe in that sense that we can take care of ourselves mm -hmm. exactly exactly and uh, and so yeah i wrote her this really long letter um and i bought a bilingual book um that had letters written from family members uh parents and also siblings of lesbians <laughs> and it was in english and in chinese and i bought this book to give it to my mom when it came out to her uh, in addition to the letter that i wrote to her um, at first she was not happy <laughs> and very upset um, and her response was essentially why are you doing this why do you hate me why are you ruining my life um, but this past year, something that was uh, nice, uh, was when my partner and I celebrated our one year anniversary, I decided, all right, I'm gonna tell my mom um, about this. And my mom was very supportive, uh, surprisingly, but also my partner, my mom and I are in a WeChat group. And my partner has been doing a lot of work to build a relationship with my mother. Um, and so I think when I told my mom, like, hey mom, like, we're not just friends, haha. <laughs> um, she was like, I'm very happy for you. I am very supportive. Um, and it was on the International Day Against Homophobia, Biphobia, yeah. etc. Um, yes. So um, is your, your partner, is, um, what does she identify as? Yes, my partner identifies also as trans and genderqueer. Um, they don't mind she, her, or they, them pronouns. Um, I think it's because of the Chinese background. So how pronouns work in Chinese, it went verbally, we just say ta, right? So it's the oh. same sound. But when you write the Chinese characters, instead of writing the female ta or the male ta, you just type out the pinyin ta. Mm -hmm. And oh, for both of them, it's the ta. Just, uh, yes, yes. Oh. And so if you are, say, writing a message in Chinese about a trans person or a genderqueer, non-binary person, uh, you can just use the pinyin TA. Oh, okay. So then how did it make you feel when your mom, uh, first, when you first told her, as she, as she said, why are you doing this to me? Like, uh, she was probably feeling so disappointed. Mm -hmm. So how did that make you feel? Very sad. Um, upset and uh, it kind of made me well we, we didn't talk <laughs> we didn't talk for uh, for maybe half a year um, and it was just sort of a very sad period of okay my mom doesn't accept me and uh, coming to terms with that 
Um, but knowing that there are folks in the world who do care about me and who are my chosen family. So you at least had a support system going. You weren't just doing it by yourself. No, no. I think that it's really important to have people who are in your corner. Mm -hmm. uh, so you um, you told you told her when you came back to China or when you were still in America. I told her uh, Chinese New Year uh, when I went back to America, but I had been working in Beijing. Uh. So you could run away still. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you could you weren't just gonna stay there for the for the longest time. No. When was the last time then she she has seen you and like uh sh last August. because yeah, you can't go anywhere right now. Yes. We yes. have to stay put yes. yeah. So what type of um job do you do, like work wise? I am an English teacher. English teacher. Yes. Uh at a train center, school, kindergarten? Uh, training center with adults. With adults. So how does how is that going in terms of infusing your sexuality gender within it? Or do I, you keep that separate? I keep it separate sometimes. I am out with certain uh, with with certain coworkers who I trust, mm -hmm. um, people who've shown me that I can trust them and I can be vulnerable with them. Um, I'm out to them, sexuality-wise, but not gender-wise. Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah, at least, at least, at least, there are people that within your working space that are understanding and are still willing to even learn. Yes, uh, yes, and there are also other lesbians, I would say, who I work with, even though they might not necessarily call themselves lesbians. DL lesbians. <laughs> yes. Yes. So then, um, the LGBT uh, community in Beijing, right? Not even necessarily just in Beijing, in the whole world. There's there's some sort of unnecessary hi hierarchy. Unnecessary because we don't need hierarchy because we are all outcasts mm. to the to the rest of society. So how do you think that has impacted you and? your journey. I might need some time to think <laughs> about this. I 100% agree. This reminds me of an image that I saw where some white gay men were standing on top of an iceberg and then everybody else was sort of below under the water trying to climb on top to the top of the iceberg. Um, Would you say that is sexuality wise or is that just race wise? Intersections of both sexuality and race and gender. Um, yes, I think that oftentimes we can't just talk about one thing without the other. Without the other, yeah. Because we are, we face, we might face the same discrimination, but it's on different levels. Yes, absolutely. Okay, but think about it more. Okay, let's bring it back to Beijing then. Then how do you think the different inequalities within the same communities are portrayed in Beijing. Not necessarily personally for you, but in general when you're reading the room per se. Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of people within the Chinese Beijing LGBT community still don't quite understand what trans is or means or looks like. 
and there are still a lot of stereotypes and discrimination against trans folks. Um, yeah, for example, there, there was a story that I heard about a trans man who I think during his transition and sort of after his transition, he wanted to do uh, some events with other cis lesbians in regards to feminism, but they were like, well, you're a man now, so you shouldn't be here. But he still has ties to his previous womanhood hmm. uh, and how he sort of views how he was socialized and grew up. Um, and so there are so many complexities to to the trans experience that I think that a lot of people still are just starting to learn about. Then what would you say to gay people and to lesbians about the trans community that we might not know in terms of like the stereotypes that are put into place? Because a lot of people think that yes we are from the same community but we don't necessarily know what happens in each community. So what do you, what would you like for the gays, the lesbians, the guys to know about trans people? It costs zero dollars <laughs> to use someone's correct pronouns. Yeah. And uh, if gays can always refer to each other as she or honey or lady, I think they can also use the correct pronouns for people and just be respectful. Um, at the end of the day, I think everybody just wants to feel heard, wants to feel seen, mm. and that goes for everybody within the LGBTQ community, especially for trans folks um, who oftentimes are still sort of erased um, or not cared about or talked about in broader conversations. Good. Gays, lesbians, did you hear that? Please take note. And then also, um, uh, with legality, let's go to legalities now in China. So I think it was uh, decriminalized, legally decriminalized in 1997. Homosexuality? Homosexuality, yes. 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 So that I also just found out today about the three no's. No approval, no disapproval, and no promotion of, of, uh, of the LGBT, basically. So basically, you're there, but we don't see you, like we don't see you at all. So how do you think this generation, I think you're privileged enough to have grown up in America rather than growing up in China because mm -hmm. I think you were able to express yourself even more as time went. How do you think life would have been being raised in China and growing up here? I talk about this a lot with my partner because they are Chinese and grew up in China um, about how our upbringings affected sort of us and for my partner they really just had to hide a lot of who they were in general and I think in, in China there are a lot of really well-behaved children or people who want to respect their parents and their elders and sort of listen to um, everything that they say and I think for me even though I am Chinese American um, I very much grew up as sort of like a rebellious like American person <laughs> and um, yeah I feel like I didn't really have to did, didn't really had to have to hide as much um, of, of who I was growing up. Because you're already doing you. 
at it from a very young age. Yes, and I had the support of my grandmother, who I often say is the first feminist that I've met in my life. And then, like, how does your growing up differ to your partner's growing up? Because I'm assuming that they were raised here in China. Yes, they were raised in a small town in Inner Mongolia, and uh, and yeah, I was raised in the city of Los Angeles, which is very diverse, and there's a lot of people, and I had the privilege of being able to um, meet so many people from all around the world and get different perspectives. Whereas I feel like my partner grew up in a very small town, and they were they are one of the only few people who who have left that town. Essentially, all their family is still back there, both the mother's side and the father's side, grandparents, aunts and uncles, grandchildren. They're all still in that very small town. And I think that it's really hard for my partner to be that one lone wolf who sort of come out um, mm. in order to be who they are. That's good. I'm glad that um, they came here because it is a bigger space. As much as there is discrimination, but people kind of mind their business. <laughs> like, yeah, they're able to keep it moving and mind their own business. So with um, it being legalized in 1997, why do you think, because that's recent, if you're thinking about it. That is quite recent because also it was just legalized in legality terms. Like this, we cannot criminalize you for this. However, it's still not recognized. Why do you think that's, that's put in play? That's a difficult question which I've also discussed with my partner because in America there's religious reasons why people um, why people discriminate against LGBTQ folks but in China it's, it's more of a an origin from I think Western culture when China opened its doors that's when the homophobia came in mm. and I think that is still sort of rooted in Chinese culture now. Um, where there aren't really representations of of queer folks um, in media, um, television. I mean, there are so many celebrities that a lot of people know they're probably queer, but they can't say that they are. Oh, where do you see it going in the next ten years? <laughs> do you see any change oh. or any progress? I. I would say there is some progress. Um, something that the Beijing LGBT Center recently did was establish the first foundation for trans folks in China. And, um, and so yeah, now if you are trans and you need some sort of financial support, you can apply for money through that foundation. And uh, I think that there has been progress, there will be progress, but I think it will take a lot of time and I don't know if 10 years <laughs> is enough time but there will definitely be um, progress. There are things put, like currently being put into place to kind of make it a bit, a bit easier. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us more about the, 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 the center, the LGBT center here in Beijing? Mm -hmm. Yes, the Beijing LGBT center is one of the oldest um, organizations for the family um, of China and it's been around for about 10 years oh. um, and yeah they have done a lot of work in regards to building a hotline for trans folks 
who need someone to call and also they have worked with a lot of lawyers on different um, important cases within China um, in regards to banning conversion therapy um, and also and also fighting for trans rights. Um, they also have recently been doing more diversity workplace initiatives um, and so working with a lot of different companies to do trainings and make the workplace more LGBTQ friendly. So the 10 years thing is long. It's not long but it's long for for our community to even have a place like uh, like, like that. So where 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 is it actually? Because <laughs> I don't I don't know. I only heard about it through MC. Mm -hmm. MC used to tell me about about uh, the center, but I was like, I in terms of visibility, I don't necessarily see it. Maybe because I was also not checking. So I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna take that. But like, where where do you guys have your events? Where are you guys based? Mm -hmm. The center is based in Dongjuman right now, but it is planning on moving into another space. So next year the office will be somewhere else and that hasn't been decided yet. Um, a lot of events used to take place at the center, but unfortunately there's a very homophobic uh, <laughs> Ai who lives next door and recently she has been a real menace and anytime people would come over she would come out and she would just yell at everybody and just say you you all you know have some sort of mental illness like there's something wrong with no. you she yeah she has been the worst and she's also another reason why the center has decided really? yeah to move um Yes. Why do you think people still have these like these these thoughts about the community? Is it education? I definitely would agree that it is education and I think largely there isn't a lot of representation um, in mainstream media. I think in America we're seeing more and more representation in mainstream media, but in China I think there is less of that still. What's the, I'm gonna put you on the spot now, what's the hardest thing you have faced as a non-binary trans person? And I'm putting you on the spot. Yes, <laughs> yes. Or one of the hardest. I think just trying to be comfortable with who I am and not having to apologize for who I am. I think is very is very difficult sometimes even even now just having to always sort of come out whenever I meet somebody new or if I'm in a new space it's this constant having to explain my existence to another person and how do you move past that how do you deal with it I have people who I love, who I can just exist with, and I don't have to explain a damn thing. <laughs> that's fair. That's true. Because it is it, it it is quite disheartening to always have to, when you in new spaces, be like, hey, I'm Lele, I'm gay, and it's like, oh. like, why does that have to be the topic? Can we just not continue with life and just keep it moving? But I I, I totally I totally understand you with that one mm -hmm. and also um, what do you think is 
What do you think is the problem with society and the struggles that they might face in understanding trans rights as easy, and I'm saying that very loosely, as easy as understanding gay rights? Because I'm gonna I'm gonna put it back to well in 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 in, in South Africa, there's a lot of corrective rape. A lot of corrective rape. Um, there's a lot of um, gender-based violence, and there's a lot of uh, in terms of patriarchy. It's like I am going to change you. There is no way you are gonna stay a lesbian. There's no way you're trans. You are a woman. Why do you think people find it so difficult? And this question, yes, is mainly because men are the perpetrators. <laughs> they are the perpetrators. But why do you think it's so hard for them to understand that trans people have have just has as much power as gay people, as straight folk, that we are all equal essentially? I think this is a question of different systems of oppression that exist and these systems give certain folks just more power over other people and currently we sort of operate like there are people who have power and there are people who are powerless and there are many different levels of power and privilege that operate and I think that's why it is so difficult for folks who have less power to to voice out and say, hey, can 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 I get some respect? Can, can somebody listen to me? Um, I'm here, I exist, because people at the top, they are so used to having all of this power all of the time. And where do you stand in that, in that, in that line? Oh, that's a difficult, <laughs> that's a very difficult question. I have a lot of privilege as a person with an American passport. Yeah. I have less privilege as a person who grew up poor, um, but also grew up in the United States, which a lot of people can consider is a developed nation. Um, and uh, and yeah, it, it depends on what context we're talking about and what comparisons we're making. Now I'm saying like, where do you stand in the line of just when people just spew out the bullshit basically when they spew out bullshit um, about not about trying to keep their privilege like hey I'm a man I should be doing this where do you come in as a non-binary trans person or do you do do you even try and confront them or do you just walk away from the ignorance? It depends on how safe I feel. Ah. If I feel more safe, then I will probably say something and sometimes that could just be as simple as, wow, that's not cool. That's not okay. Mm -hmm. And I don't have to explain more than that, but just saying that I think does make a difference. And sometimes I think we have all encountered a person where where you just realize, you know, somebody's probably never called this person out on their bullshit and ignorance and and sometimes you can choose to be that person to engage in that emotional labor or sometimes you can also just walk away and take care of yourself because 
you know, at the end of the day, you have to. You have to take care of yourself. You have to um, self-preservation. Yeah, self-preservation. Yeah, yes. Yes. I get what, I get, I get what you're trying. I got, I got, I got you. I got you. So, who are the people that you look uh, that you look up to? People that kind of besides your partner, people that kind of keep you sane and steer you in uh, in the direction that you want to go in. Because you know, it's it's easy to stray, mm-hmm. and it's easy to fall victim to society. So, how do you take care of your own mental health? I definitely lean on my therapist a lot. <laughs> um, she is an amazing therapist. She is a black, lesbian, Haitian American. And um, she's the first therapist who I actually have connected with. Here in China? No, oh. no. So she is also based in the U.S., but um, but yeah, she is a person who I share a lot of my concerns about um, work stuff, life stuff. Um, when I sort of am feeling really anxious, or if I am spiraling into a depressive episode, I lean on her, um, and also a handful of friends from university. Oh, you still keep in touch with it? Yes, I still keep in touch with and a the, few of them. And, and the girl that had a crush on you? We do not talk. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately. So what, what would you say to young Chinese folk who are still battling with um, their sexuality? Uh, and, Chinese, and by Chinese folk, I mean the ones that are actually here in China. Because it's very tough for them to socialize outside of school mm. so what would you say because I'm trying to think at the at the school that I work um, there's no break time even for them to uh, socialize with other grades they're always within their own grades mm. so they just know the people that are around them 20 like basically 24 7 in the classroom so what would you say to those that are battling with their sexuality? First, you are loved, you are cared about, and you are perfect just the way you are. Uh, And there are people and communities out there waiting for you if you want. Um, And yeah, for example, the Beijing LGBT Center is a resource and there are also different resources that you can um, reach out to and lean on. Something that I feel like I came to terms with my first year in Beijing, which I feel like was one of the loneliest uh, years of my life so far, um, is that sometimes community can just be one person. Just one person who listens to you, sees you for who you are, and is there for you. You don't need a full group of people. No. Using someone that is actually there for you. So with, with the center, what age do you guys start, do you work with? So we mainly work with university age students and up. So a lot of our interns and volunteers are college students. Um, but 
But yeah, all of our events I think often are open to the public. So if you are younger, you are welcome to come. <laughs> um, yes. What would you say to um, to now the the strongest of patriarchs? You know that person that is just disruptive as a motherfucker, like just disrupting everything and just wanting everything to be. Uh, 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 we as men we do this. What would you say to that person? I would say shut up and listen. <laughs> <laughs> Just shut up and listen. I, I, oh yes, shut up and listen, and uh, and just stop. Just stop and pause, um, and realize what impact you have on other people, and that can be a lot of your loved ones. Um, yeah. Do you ever get tired uh, of uh, uh, to explain what non-binary trans mean? Sometimes I do get tired if I didn't sleep well or if I had a really long day working and you know I meet somebody who's very cis and straight and they want me to explain something, I will kind of just sigh and... Uh, oh, here we go again. Yes, 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 here we go again. Mm-hmm. Then uh, do you do you end up just telling them or do you just tell them go read a book? Most of the time, <laughs> most of the time, I do just end up telling them because there is an opportunity for a connection. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, I think that activism really boils down to one-on-one relationships that you have with people. Right? If you have these sort of difficult conversation sometimes right you can change a mind you can change your heart and i think that that ripple effect is really powerful you touched on, on on activism right now who what do you think how do you think beijing was 10 years ago compared to now yes you weren't here but you've seen the the, the difference so what do you think it was like and what do you think has changed what I have I've heard actually is I think that 10 years ago China and Beijing was a lot more open. Oh. Yes. Yes. 10 years ago that was when a lot of other sort of LGBTQ organizations also opened, established, started, but unfortunately a lot of them have closed since. And there has been a stronger um so we've regressed Slightly. Slightly, and if we're talking about just numbers of LGBT organizations. um, But the impact? But the impact, I think, is still still there, and a lot of folks doing the work that needs to be done, um, but I think that it it can be really difficult sometimes trying to do it in China. Oh, here I thought there was progress. Maybe I'm just reading it wrong. Uh, this yeah. year, Shanghai Pride closed. Yeah, but it's COVID. You can't blame it on COVID. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we can blame it on COVID. That everything we should be blaming on COVID this year. Maybe next year there will be a reboot of some sort. Maybe. Do you ever work with um, other uh, LGBT centers like the Ch- uh, Shanghai one, or is, does Tianjin have? Because Tianjin is very close. 
Tianyin doesn't have a center. The Beijing LGBT Center is the, I think, the biggest um, organization within China.、Um, and there are other places that have、uh, different sort of NGOs, like in Guangzhou, they have some. In Yunnan province, I also have heard there are some. And oftentimes, there are a lot of collaborations that happen because. Resources are so few, and people have to work together、um, to push forward、um, a more just and sort of equal society. How have you guys kept up with、um, this year, with with COVID? Because it's been rough. Yes, the center actually was going to close this year.、Oh. Yes, yes, because of financial.、Um, Financial reasons. It is really difficult to find money and to get money、um, into the center. I think this year, especially, was more difficult because a lot of people lost their jobs and there's a lot of unemployment, and so a lot of people、uh, didn't want to donate or couldn't donate even if they wanted to, and it was it was really hard. We. The center discussed、um, a potential closing in March,、um, but fortunately,、um, there have been folks who have come out and said, "I will donate. I will donate. You know, five RMB one like every month." Yeah. And that five RMB can really go a long way. Oh, I was meaning to ask this. How has the government reacted to the center? <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. I'm asking, so I think I shouldn't. But I want to know. <laughs> I actually don't don't really know. I think Beijing, the Beijing LGBT Center's relationship with the government is is something that I, I I'm not really sure about. Another app, a company that、um, folks might be more familiar with, Bluedy, Blued. Ah,、uh, yes, 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 yes. They actually are.、Um, I think they have the best relationship with the government. Oh yes, yes. Blood, really? Yes,、uh, because of the work that they did with HIV and AIDS,、ah. and so they have had what I think most LGBTQ organizations in China think is the best relationship with the government. Okay, so where can people catch you? Where can people catch me? Yes. <laughs> um, I am a homebody. <laughs> so. It's Halloween this weekend. Oh yes, yes. Speaking of Halloween, the Beijing LGBT Center will be hosting a party、yes. at the Great Leap Brewery, and everybody is welcome to come to that.、Um, so you can catch me there that night. And social media. Social media. If you want them to follow me. I am trying to delete as much social、oh, media、no. as I can. Oh no! I asked the wrong person. <laughs> Yes. You try to get rid of it. Why? I recently watched the Netflix documentary The Social Dilemma, and it is terrifying to see how much data gets tracked. How much data gets? But we all you getting tracked, so you must you must you must try and stay on the straight and narrow path. Don't be doing no shady shit. <laughs> Don't be doing no shady shit. Do what you gotta do. And for the LGBT center, what what are the like the details? Facebook page, Insta, Twitter. 
Yes, there is a Facebook page. If you search Beijing LGBT Center, you should be able to find it. There is an Instagram. I think it is also BJ LGBT Center. I'm not entirely sure, um, but we definitely do have an Instagram. And our WeChat account is Beitong Wenhua, uh, which mm -hmm. is B E I T O N G W E N H U A. Say it again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the center actually used to be more, they, did, they actually did more culture stuff. So they had a longer name, I think, which was sort of Center for Culture. And I think they sort of dropped that, but the Chinese um, WeChat account still has that part uh -huh. and that history. Okay, so what are now your closing parting words? Something you want to let someone know? Screw you, bitch, that I walked past and you looked at me a funny way. <laughs> Anything. Some inspirational thing or, or fuck you even. I actually want to end on trans lives matter and black lives matter. Oh, that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Regina. Thank you, Lily. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That was Regina Wu and she done educated all of us. <laughs> Let us know what is it. So catch me on Instagram at Lele2 underscore G or on Twitter Lele the guy and also catch us on at Outside Radio on Instagram and www.outsideradio.live Till next time, bye! You're listening to Outside Radio. <laughs>